Hey, welcome back to Lucid. It's a podcast in which two dreamers tell you about dreams and listen to yours so your friends don't have to. I'm Micah Sargent, and I am joined here in Big Dream City with my co-host, Tori Folk. How you doing, Tori? Hi, Micah. I'm good. How are you? You know, I'm feeling pretty good about this week. We This is our first sort of carryover episode in terms of, of, of topics. What, what are we going to be uh, talking about this week? Well, you know how last week we talked about consumable sleep disruptors, right? Well, this week we're going to be talking about environmental sleep disruptors. So not things you eat that mess up your sleep, but things that happen around you in your environment. Uh Uh-huh. In my environment. All the things that I look around and say, it's your fault. I can't fall asleep. (laughs) Yeah. And honestly, I didn't expect this episode, not to say that the stuff can't be helped and things like that but i expected i didn't expect this episode to be so grim (laughs) we've both done uh, a bunch of research this week that we've been uh texting each other and being like oh my god this is horrible (laughs) i had no idea that this was the case our modern world is out to get our sleep it It is is. after us and it is winning (laughs) let's talk about the science and uh tori i think we'll have you kick things off with Honestly, one of the worst possible things and one of the most, uh, what's that word? It's everywhere. We can't escape it. I can't. It's all consuming. It's all consuming. Our sleep is being consumed by light. I guess we're starting off with the most horrifying things so we can like (laughs) gradually get to less horrifying things as we go. Um, you and I have both been reading, uh, Dreamland Mm -hmm. Adventures in the Strange Science of Sleep by David K. Randall. And there is an entire chapter specifically focused on artificial light and how that disrupts your sleep. And everybody knows, yeah, of course, you shouldn't leave your lights on and it's bad to have your computer on and watching Netflix or whatever as you fall asleep. At me next time. (laughs) I'm talking to both of us, really. But um, I didn't know quite how terrible it was uh, and is for all of us. Let's talk about light for a second and how it influenced our interpretation of the night Mm -hmm. because back before all of these booming metropolises that we have now um it was sort of like as soon as it got dark everything shut down you would go into your home where it was safe um there was nothing good for you out in the darkness (laughs) and um that's how we sort of regulated our circadian rhythm our internal clock we knew okay It's dark outside. It's time for me to go in. It's time for me to start getting ready to rest and whatever, eat dinner, I guess, Mm -hmm. and all those sorts of things. But then... um, Well, and that's how we did it since the beginning of human, like, existence. Yeah, exactly. And so that... That was our that was our clock. That's how our bodies knew, you know, when to wake up, when to go to sleep and things like that. But then, of course, because we're human and we want everything all the time, we started really, really <laughs> mucking that up. Um, so in big cities like London, uh, they would start filling the streets with oil lamps, which, again, honestly, not that big of a deal. Um, but what it did was it sort of kicked off this whole, oh, the nighttime's actually the right time kind of <laughs> attitude. Um, people started ignoring that, oh, dark is for sleeping. They started staying out late. Shops were able to stay open until really, really late. Bars, theaters, all of that stuff. And nightlife started booming. And so we were thinking as, you know, the human race, like, we really like this. Um, how do we get this without having to light a billion oil lamps all the time and the, the fire dangers and things that come along with that? And so uh, 
Thomas Edison. Oh, good old Eddie. Yeah, I've decided that I really, really, really don't like him for lots of reasons. Same. So he was like, how can I make it into something accessible, easy to use so that everybody can have it and also like improve the actual light of it all? Um, And so he invented the light bulb, which changed everything. It gave us even more exposure to this like human created light. And so electric lighting just became standard, which that seems really great Mm -hmm. because, oh, now it's light out. Uh, There's less crime. We get to do more things. But actually, it's not. It's very, very bad. And not like (laughs) Michael Jackson bad. It's like the bad, bad, actually. It's the bad, bad. And it should feel bad. (laughs) Yeah. And it should feel bad. (laughs) So people started working these graveyard shifts because now we can be out at night. Things are booming at night. So people started working all night. And there was this big push societally toward productivity and like if you're sleeping any more than four hours a night you're a layabout and you're lazy you're not contributing i typed in my notes this isn't something that thomas edison said but he might as well have fuck sleep i mean because he even lied about how much like he he was trying to prove that he practically never slept old tommy and he was like i'm the picture of health (laughs) and intelligence so nobody should ever sleep again but he ruined all of our lives for the rest of time he did And so now we are completely engulfed in artificial light, right? I live in a big city. um, You've lived in big cities. And it's like, even in small towns, there's so much light out Mm -hmm. there. We can't even see the stars most of the time in uh, most of the, like, hubs. And it's to the point where whenever we can't see the stars, we start to feel weird about it. Like, there have been times where people have called in to the police station whenever there's been, like, blackouts um, saying, I can see this weird glowing cloud. What the hell is it? And they're like, uh, that's the Milky Way. You're just not used to seeing that. So yeah, 99 out of 100 people in the United States live in an area that meets the standard of light pollution, which basically means that the night sky is 10 times brighter than it would be if there was <sighs> no light and so sunset no longer means bedtime for us um which mucks up our circadian rhythms that help us know when to go to bed so when you see enough light at night your brain is like oh sunlight because it doesn't know any better our brains are still i mean we've evolved a bit but it's still kind of wholly unchanged from whenever we were first you know sleeping and waking and so your body reacts to light in the same way that it does sunshine sending signals to keep you awake um, which totally decimates the like rebuilding of cells and all of that great stuff you get in deep sleep. And it's so bad that too much exposure to light can stop your body from releasing melatonin, which is that hormone that helps regulate sleep. And it can even affect our circadian rhythm so much that it screws up our entire bodies. Um, It leads to depression, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, obesity, cancer. There was a study uh, with nurses who worked night shifts, um, and they're more likely to develop breast cancer and colon cancer than um, women who slept all night. There was another study that said if a woman lived in a place where it was bright enough to see outside to read a book at midnight, she had a 73% chance higher risk of developing breast cancer than a peer who lived in a neighborhood that remained dark after the sun sets. Hey, remember before when we said that artificial light (laughs) is ruining your life? It is ruining your life. 
And the biggest culprit is blue light. Dun, dun, dun. Which is our favorite kind of light nowadays, which is unfortunate. Um, that's the light that comes off of energy efficient light bulbs, your computer screen, your phone screen, all of that good stuff. Exposure to blue light suppresses melatonin like way more than even just like regular yellow or red light does. It will suppress melatonin twice as long as any other kind of light, which is, again, really, really bad for you. So you lose, say, three hours of sleep as opposed to just one and a half hours from exposure to light. Um, So basically what this means is you should put your phone or tablet or computer or whatever other weird device you have down at night at least two hours hours before bed hours say it ain't so in order to get a good night's sleep which is absolutely wild um because i don't do that i don't know that you do that that. i don't know anybody that actually does that except for maybe my grandma i use like all of the you know special blue light filtering stuff that comes which is good you should yes And and it works but it's not like that's that's the one thing is you know i think people put too much emphasis on that like oh well i can keep practically reading twitter into after i go to sleep and it's like no it's still not good there are a bunch of other factors any artificial light is quite bad let's see so we've got light Mm -hmm. let's move on to camera or action (laughs) i mean both of those could produce sounds right (laughs) so we're moving we're moving on to sound this is one that again i was sort of under the impression that some people are affected by sound at night and other people kind of not really, um, because I know some people who can sleep through a freight train crashing into (laughs) their bedroom and everything would be fine. They'd still be out like a fucking light. But um, I was always really sensitive to noise and I wake up with a start at the tiniest sound. So um, I thought that it wasn't as big of a deal for other people. But as it turns out, even if people aren't reacting to sounds they hear in their sleep, it's still disturbing their sleep. As we mentioned in episode one, which was about the sleep cycle, um, you can still hear external noises on a basic level when you're asleep. You're just not responding to them. So like light, noise pollution during sleep can lead to a bunch of really horrible things, cardiovascular disease and things like that. Um, because again, it's messing with that circadian rhythm that keeps us on track with our sleep schedule. Um, the World Health Organization actually did a study and they estimated that Western Europeans as a whole lose one million years of healthy life. Now, that's not life, but just like living healthily per year due to traffic related noise. Oh, my God. Look, <laughs> literally, what did she, what did Tori just say? One million, <laughs> one million years of healthy life. Per year. Yeah. In five years, that's five million years of human life that could have been healthy that's lost because of vehicles making their noises. <laughs> right. So noise affects your sleep by causing you sometimes to wake up or just to react in a more subconscious way, move around. Um, it can sometimes cause shifts in between stages of sleep. So from deep sleep to more stage one, stage two type sleep. And it can actually even change your heart rate or um, increase your blood pressure. Oh, great. Depending on what the noise is. Um, so it may not be enough for you to wake up and actually remember that you woke up the next day, but the damage has been done. Noise, of course, would be more likely to wake you from the earlier stages of sleep than the deeper stages of sleep in REM, Um, but it still, like I said, disturbs those. Uh, And studies actually show that sounds as quiet as 30 decibels can affect your sleep. So that's like the 
uh, murmurs and different noises you hear in a library. Yeah, that's that's nice. 30 decibels. Charles Dickens. Charles Dickens. That's what I always whisper. That's what I always murmur to myself in the library. No that's matter how what I I'm actually, reading. when I'm trying to get my dogs to fall asleep, I just say Charles Dickens. Okay. That's horrifying. It is. Um, but then Sylvia some sleeping individuals. <laughs> okay. You know what? I'm behind that one. I'll whisper Sylvia Platt to some dogs. Some sleeping individuals are often confronted with noise that's up to 80 decibels. So that's like people living in big cities. They <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny, but it is just the idea of being asleep. Is just... <laughs> okay. So it's like, yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. It's the sound of like an airplane flying overhead, right? Which I get a lot here. That actually happened before we started recording or a garbage truck coming down the street at like 5 a.m. to collect all of your trash. That stuff's more like 80 decibels. And also in some cases the sounds that actually wake you, this is where it starts to depend on the person. Um, if you have a, an emotional connection to a sound, it's more likely to wake you up, right? So if you are a new mother and you hear your baby crying in the next room, then that might jolt you right out of bed the second it starts happening. But your partner could be in bed snoring and snoring away, but you're so used to that that you just stay asleep. So sometimes it depends on your emotional connection to it. What if like when I was a kid, my mom dropped a bag of potatoes at the same time that I stubbed my toe and broke it? And so now the sound of potatoes dropping is an emotional connection that I have. Like, do you think I'd be roused from sleep by the sound of potatoes hitting the floor? You know what? I honestly think you would. Okay, for me... <laughs> I have lots of anxieties around like people opening and closing doors. It's one of my most hated noises. And I used to sleep in a dorm room where that was literally constant through the night. And it would always mess my sleep up and it would always make me so anxious. So now where it happens a little bit less, uh, I'm living in an apartment, which of course people still open and close doors. But when it does happen, I wake up with a start and I genuinely sometimes am like, Oh my God, it's five years ago. <laughs> what happened? Oh, no. So honestly, yeah. I mean, stuff that's happened to you in your past that maybe traumatic is perhaps too strong a word, but that has affected you in some way and you've formed that sort of connection to it. Mm -hmm. um, it can wake you up out of a dead sleep. Okay. So all noise is bad, right? Yes. Wrong. Yes. No. Wrong. So you may have heard of white noise that some people actually use to fall asleep. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So exactly. It's different than sleep disruption noise. Okay. It actually works as a balancer. So it reduces the difference between background noise sounds like, I don't know, just normal stuff that you would hear like footsteps and things and like alerting sounds like a car driving by really fast. It's sort of like evens the playing field between sounds oh. so that um, certain sounds aren't as likely to jolt you out of sleep because you've already laid down a nice sound Lay in mattress. The base. Lay in the <laughs> sound base. Oh, did you say um, sound mattress? That's perfect. I did. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you've already laid down this really, really pleasant layer of sound that then other sounds tend to blend with. And of course, this also depends on the person. Uh, some white noises don't work for some people. Uh, some people prefer, for instance, like rainforest sounds, while some people just turn on a fan, which is my preferred white noise method. Mm -hmm. Same. So basically, to combat alerting disruptive sounds, you may consider actually bringing some white noise into your life uh, so you can fight sound with sound. Um, but you may have to experiment a little bit with what type and the volume and things like that because 
white noise, depending on whether or not it's actually right for you, might also disturb your sleep. It's and the if- white noise, but it's not the right noise. <laughs> Exactly. Um, and if you just hate white noise and you hate any noise and you just want everything to be totally silent I hate noise. all the time, which I, to- I feel you, that's completely understandable, um, you can just invest in some earplugs or noise-canceling headphones or something like that. I think I'm going to buy two sheep and just wear them on my ears. I mean, they might be kind of loud, honestly. Yeah, they could. That's true. I don't know. Because they bleat a lot. And I also feel like you would be able to hear all of their weird gut sounds, like their stomachs <laughs> oh, but that's digesting. My, that's my choice of white. That's, that's the right white noise. white noise. Yeah. There you go. Well, to each their own. Sheep gut sounds. Mm-mm-mm. I'm falling asleep already. Man, somebody's going to release that album now. And I, you know what? Send it to me. I actually kind of <laughs> want to know. Okay. So sound and light aren't the only things. I know you were thinking, oh, good, that's all. That's all, we're done. You're wrong. I'm gonna piss people off. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So the first one, not so much. Uh, This is something to keep in mind. And I think that a lot of people are sort of hip to the general idea because our bodies in general tend to be pretty uh, sensitive to temperature changes. And so we kind of know, like, like there are plenty of jokes and things about people, you know, stealing the covers from their partner or or <laughs> trying to run a fan underneath the blanket or, you know, all these different things to, to remain cool or remain warm, depending on what feels better for you. Um, temperature, though, does play a pretty big role in your sleep. Uh, of course, if you are physically uncomfortable, you're going to have trouble falling asleep. And there's that there's a whole joke about like people. I, I need some sort of something over the top of me. But at the same time, like when it's really warm, I want to be able to not have anything on top of me. This is my at me next time. That's exactly how I feel. I'm like, I'm so fucking hot. Meanwhile, I'm like up to my chin and like the heaviest possible blanket because I can't deal with it. Uh, sometimes like I'll stick my leg out and my arm out and then I'm like, no, but this really doesn't work for me. I need to be fully under the covers. Uh, so of course, those those factors will uh, influence your sleep and your sleep cycle uh, as you are you know, not not comfortable so you can't sort of go from the earlier state or the, the the lighter stages of sleep into the deeper stages of sleep. And as we mentioned in our first episode, I think it was Tori who brought it up, uh not all sleep stages are treated equally in terms of temperature. Your body fluctuates. And so when you're getting all hot and not bothered, when you're getting all hot and smoky, uh, while you're dreaming and things oh, like God, that, gross. then you, you know, you, your body's going to get warmer. And if you are too warm already, then that could eventually wake you up and then you wake up in like this big puddle of you which is just not Mm, great mm -hmm. and then you got to (laughs) rehydrate and then it's just it's just a nightmare (laughs) um so apparently the optimal temperatures for your bedroom is between about 60 and 70 60 and 67 degrees fahrenheit which that sounds about right for me I, i like those temperatures uh that's 15 to 20 degrees celsius and the idea is that your body does tend to cool down a little bit as it's uh drifting off to sleep uh in the beginning but one of the things that i wanted to talk about too is this stuff in our bodies called brown fat So we have different types of fat, and one type of fat is white fat, and white fat is the substance that we use to store energy. And so if you get more energy than than you need, then your body stores that energy in white fat cells that then you can burn to get energy back. Well, brown fat 
actually burns energy to create heat in your body and maintains your body temperature. And it turns out that if you spend time in a cool environment overnight for even just a month, there were there there's an increase in your body's brown fat content and it affects your body's ability to to burn energy. It it basically speeds up oh, your metabolism. Wow. And people who have who have more brown fat are more likely to not have the characteristics of obesity and risks for type 2 diabetes and things like that. Um, so by cooling down your bedroom to 60, 67 deg- 60 to 67 degrees, not only are you helping yourself fall asleep, but you're also giving your body a chance to produce more brown fat, which is better for your health overall. So if, if you know, getting a good night's sleep is not enough of a, a, a reason right. for you to do it, then, then think about that. I think that that's a, a pretty neat thing. But essentially, temperature it's all about sort of comfort level on the, on the surface of it, and it's also a bit of a signal to your body, like okay, now's the time, time for time for us to cool down, time for us to go to sleep. This is the cool down stage of the soul cycle. Okay. Um, now we come to the piss off stage. Uh, yeah, this is this is a contentious one because of our history, and by our history, I don't mean Tory in my history. I mean the history. Our of, history is great. Our, nothing yeah, contentious there. Nothing wrong with our history. The history <laughs> of humans in general. Once upon a time, we we sort of fluctuate between stages. Stages where everybody was having sex with everybody, and all of it was fine. And then stages where nobody was even looking at anybody and we were very prudish. And everyone's wearing blindfolds. Everyone's wearing blindfolds all the time. Um, <laughs> but, we, you know, when I think of twin beds, I don't mm-hmm. think – like the reason that I thought they were called twin beds, honestly, is because I thought of like a, a, a couple of kids, two twins – in a family and it's like, Oh, go to your twin beds, Jack and Jill. And the, <laughs> the reason that twin beds are called twin beds is because they were used by our more puritanical, uh, elders to literally separate the husband and wife, the partners, uh, in their, in their bedroom. The idea oh, was wow. that if anyone came and visited you in your house, you would never like and came and saw your your bedroom you would never get the impression that you had ever even touched the other person's skin (laughs) much less performed any sort of sexual interaction right well there came a period of time when the emphasis for married relationships started to go back toward sexual interaction and it in fact it, it went so far as to invade the um uh, therapies involved with like marriage counseling and things like that. Counselors oh, right. talked about how it was important for couples to uh, pleasure each other and, you know, give the other person what they wanted in terms of that. And so it became taboo for any sort of separation in, in sleeping, like a, a married couple who did not spend the night together in bed. <gasps> that's a bad thing. And right. that, I can remember that in my own family. My, my grandpa was a snorer. And my <laughs> grandma finally was like, look, bruh, we can't do this anymore. You can, yeah. you cannot. And I remember it being like this fire that spread through our whole family. Like, oh my gosh, can you believe they're not sleeping in the same room anymore? Da, 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 da. And it, it's just because we've held this belief for so long that that's the case. So right. going back to what all of that means, 
you actually aren't doing a great job when you're sleeping with somebody else in terms mm -hmm. of, of taking care of your sleep. And you, this book that we were reading, it talks about how people who end up sleeping together uh, are 50% more likely to be disturbed during the night than if you sleep alone. So consider this, the sounds, the temperature, the lights, all of those things are still affecting you, but you have 50% more of a chance to stay asleep if you don't sleep with somebody else. If you, right. if you just decide to, to sleep alone. And Tori, I'm so glad that you uh, dropped this quote in the notes because this is something that I read. I think I highlighted it in the book. Isn't it much better when someone tiptoes across the corridor for a snuggle because they want to rather than snoring, farting, and kicking all through the night? Yes. Yes. Amen. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes. And that Lord. was uh, scientist Neil Stanley who asked that question, who posed that question and uh, played a big role in sort of kicking this idea off. The fact is, we can show through these different studies, these scientific studies, that sleeping with someone else in your bed is detrimental to your sleep. And yet, in these studies, they had uh, the people sort of report how they slept afterward. Mm -hmm. And they reported that they slept, they, they had them sleep apart and sleep together. And they reported that they slept better way more times whenever they were together than when they were apart. But the actual EEGs showed the opposite. They slept much better whenever they were apart. <laughs> right. It's like an emotional distinction. Uh, the, like, it's physical and emotional. Physically, we sleep a lot better, but emotionally, we feel like, oh, but I miss that person. I should be next to them, you know? Yes, exactly. And that, like, that makes sense. And ultimately... If you can cut down on the other things or improve the temperature and things like that, then maybe this is the one that you don't make a compromise on. You still get to sleep with your partner. But it's just important to keep that in mind. And along with the fact that uh, I have to sort of be called out because, you know, pets also play a role in this. Pets mm -hmm. can disrupt your sleep as well. The idea is that there are so many things that can go wrong uh, while you're sleeping to, you know, keep you from getting to deeper stages of sleep or wake you from sleep completely. And you should limit those. People f fail to realize because of the way that, because of Tommy Eddy, frankly, and because <laughs> of the way that our culture has come to, you know, value overwork and, and over action and mm -hmm. over awakenedness-ocity. That is a scientific <laughs> term. Because we value those things so much causes us to not value sleep and let's be real you are a better version of yourself whenever you get the sleep that you need to get absolutely because sleep is so important but we don't pay attention to that and so we fail to understand the importance of it and stick to the the schedule and do the things that we need to do to get the best sleep possible so that we can spend those remaining hours where we are awake being the best version of ourselves amen <laughs> preach it <laughs> preach welcome to sleep church uh, have a seat. I would just listen to hymns and then fall asleep. But are the hymns like just white noise? Oh man. Okay, so we need to start. I'm copyright. Copyright right now. <laughs> I don't think that that's like a churchly thing to do is copyright something. But um, we're doing it. We're doing white noise sleep church and <laughs> what else? Write down all of our trademarks because uh, we don't want to forget them. <laughs> there are other factors that play a role in disrupting your sleep. There are, there are quite a few. Yeah, there are a lot more than we talked about. We don't have time to cover them all, but uh, we will, of course, be covering uh, many of these topics in many different ways in future episodes. Stuff will overlap. Let's go ahead 
and move on to the second half of our show, which, of course, is the dream interpretation. The juiciest half. The juicy half. (laughs) This first dream comes from listener Ty. Hi there, Micah and Tori. This is listener Ty. And I have a dream that I hope you guys can interpret. Um, It's a dream that I've had reoccur several times in my life. So the dream will begin where it's just everything's normal. And then all of a sudden, there's someone that has come up missing, be it a friend of my parents or at one time it was a great aunt or people I knew but not people super close to me. And then all of a sudden, I'm in the middle of hiding this person's body, hiding the body out in the country, out in the trees, digging holes, putting the bodies in these holes. And then I'm remembering that I'm coming back to, you know, where I live and pretending that I have no idea where these people are. But at the same time, I'm scared because I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to get caught. The police are going to come. People are going to figure this out. They're going to know that I hid the body. And like I said, there's no situation where I have caused this person to cease to exist but yet their body is in my house and I'm trying to figure out how the heck I'm going to get rid of it. I have the ability, have for a long time, to be in a dream and say, oh my gosh, this is just a dream, you need to wake up. But in these dreams, it's not as easy to do that. I can eventually do it. I mean, there's times I can, you know, think about, oh my gosh, this is, there's no way I, you know, I could do something like this or, you know, that I've done something like this. I don't, you know, remember doing this. Wake up, wake up. And I won't wake up automatically. It takes a few times before I can actually get up out of that dream. Then I would wake up and feel all sorts of like ashamed or, oh my gosh, what in the world would, you know, why is my mind dreaming something like this? So anyway, like I said, I've never really shared that dream with anybody or those (laughs) dreams. They're recurring, but a little different each time. Have probably not had that dream in a while. Hopefully I don't have it tonight. (laughs) Micah Tori, Lucid, help me. Oh, wow, that's a doozy. So first of all, I think you need to take a moment and celebrate because your brain is telling you that you could kill and hide a body and you wouldn't (laughs) get caught. (laughs) Yeah, you obviously did a fine job. Like, outside of the shame and everything, which honestly, good. That means you're not a sociopath (laughs) also. You're feeling... You wake uh, up, like, with a smile on your face. There's no sweat in the bed (laughs) at all. You you have, like, this euphoria. That's whatever there's a bit of an issue that you should be worried about. Yeah, but... Damn, you got that job done. It sounds like you really did it. Like everything was, you know, you were, you're great at hiding a body. So that's good. Just keep that one in your back pocket. We're going to go ahead and write down your contact information. In case we- <laughs> yeah. Sort of what I was thinking whenever I was listening to that was maybe there are some things in your life that are unnecessary and stressful. And this is just sort of like your fantasy of getting rid of them and mm-hmm. nobody finds out. <laughs> Even though you know, like, I don't know. And you do feel bad. Yeah, like you do feel bad about having to do it. It's something that maybe because of external pressures, you feel like you should keep around. But you, you, like, it's still the right thing to do. And obviously, you get away with it. I think um, the one thing that stood out to me was, and first of all, very diplomatic way of describing murder. Uh, there's no, yeah. there's no time in which I, I like make this person cease to exist. Cease to I think exist. Is what, what she said, which yeah. that's very good. Um, but like focusing in on that, 
she may not be the murderer of this mm-hmm. person. And True. what what I think this could possibly be, you know, you talk about how it's a family friend or it's someone that you sort of know or it's this. I see this as you taking on the responsibilities or weights of other people and feeling Ooh. like you're alone in having to deal with them. And yes. and maybe you know the 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 idea of burying this thing like this is a task that you're that you have to worry about and something that you have to do and for people to find out either that means that uh they find out that you did not you know someone hands you responsibility and like mm-hmm. uh make copies of this and then they check on you later and you didn't make the copies right then you feel that guilt of like oh they gave me this responsibility that wasn't really mine to do but now right. i feel guilty because i did it wrong and so i could see that playing into this uh like you're lumped with the body but it may not even be your body to have to deal with and yes. you like you're good clearly at handling other people's shit but yeah. you shouldn't feel you shouldn't feel like you have to. And like that, that whole yes. thing compounds, I think, the guilt on top of everything. I totally agree. Forget what I said. I really, <laughs> let's run with this interpretation more. Um, yeah, I think, you know, this is great. And what's funny is I have spoken to people in my family about um, weird dreams recently just because they know that uh, we're doing the podcast now and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And What's interesting is whenever we got this stream from Ty, um, it reminded me of a couple of times, not any of the men, but a lot of the women in my family, especially like my grandma and my mom, have had similar dreams where they have to like – where they've – I don't know if they've accidentally murdered someone or murdered someone on purpose or whatever, but they have to like hide – a body in some way maybe not necessarily bury it but like get rid of it uh-huh. and i wonder if it's like a, a maternal responsibility situation Whoa. or something like that where it's sort of like i wonder how common these dreams are yeah in that sort of demographic but yeah i i think that you are so right i think that it's like oh god somebody's thrust all of these extra stressors and responsibilities upon you and they're technically the other person's problems but because you are a caring person and you care about you know what others think of you and how you're viewed as far as like your capabilities um like you go ahead and you're like oh god well i guess i have to take care of this still even though it's not my problem and so you do and you do it well but then you're sort of like feeling uneasy about taking on that responsibility like it's not something that you actually wanted to do you just felt forced into doing it and so you're left with these feelings of like unrest because it's not a path that you yourself would have chosen and instead you would probably have liked to be like you would like to be you know drinking a mai tai on the beach (laughs) instead of burying a body (laughs) i mean like maybe you need to um do more things for yourself and stop taking on the issues of the people around you, if you mm-hmm. can help it. Yes. And, you know, to, to carry it even further, we, she talks about uh, finding different ways to go about hiding the body. And, oh, yeah. You know, they're, like they're strategizing, putting it in a tree, burying it in a hole, <laughs> and dropping it in a river, dropping it in a river, uh, putting it in a Ball pig pit. farm. Uh, yes, uh, wherever, you know, these are all different methods by which you, you know, you, you may fix other people's problems as we talked about. And Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's almost like you have 
you have your in your your your, your serial killer dream uh like you have these <laughs> spots these dump zones these these hideaways but you can't always use them because they start to pile up and so you know you're 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 taking on other people's responsibility and that stuff starts to pile up on you and you said this is a recurring dream which means that you know this is right. something that comes back and and is sort of a reminder to you over time like hey uh you know once again you are literally taking the dead weight of someone else onto yes. your shoulders and and doing it for them and i think that um it's it's time that you Cut down those trees, fill in those holes. I uh, don't know. Drain those <laughs> waterings. Drain the river. Wherever you're putting these bodies, like it's there's time only to, so many bodies you can fit in a ball pit. You just gotta. It's time to fence those things off and like find your own place to to, to bury your own bodies. Your like, own bodies your that own you personally body. have killed with your own hands. <laughs> like, these may still be dead bodies, but damn it, they're my dead bodies. <laughs> and I'm proud of them. Yeah. Well, when you consider them to be, you know, responsibilities, responsibilities. Yeah. Oh, uh, there you go. I don't it was hate all right. it. it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's like a four out of ten. Yeah. Um. If, if you got your own responsive bodilies, then you could take care of those and uh, stop taking on others. Just tell them to hire a grave digger or something, and they can yeah handle it. Definitely. I think. Yeah, I, I agree. Focus on yourself. Um, and do the things that you need to do for you, and maybe then you'll be more equipped to help others with their responsibilities. But I think it's time. That you take some time for yourself and you should, there should be, you should fall asleep and your, uh, friend hands you a shovel and they have one of their own and you are helping them hide their body as opposed to you having to do it. Yeah. Yeah. On your, on your own for them. So, right. I there agree. You go. All right. Perfect. Uh, good, good luck and, uh, best wishes <laughs> with, with that. Sweet dreams. For the love of God. I hope that you, I also hope that you don't have any more body burying dreams. I hope that you have the relaxing dreams that you want to have. Uh, Tori, we have a dream here from listener Trinity, and I was wondering if you could read it for us. I would absolutely love to. Okay. So Trinity says, my dream consisted of me and a large number of people partaking in a dance of some sort, except it took place on this frozen pond where we all went about the evening on this ice venue. So, okay, wintry, icy venue. Suddenly, the ice begins to crack and these tentacles emerge from the water, grabbing people one by one and latching on and then taking them under into the frigid depths of the water. The ice is so slippery that I can't run off the pond to safety. Finally, a tentacle grabs my ankle and before I go under, I wake up in a cold sweat. I what's that? What's the name of that creature that has a tentacle face? It's like an ancient god. Cthulhu. Yeah, I think Cthulhu is contacting <laughs> so you. So maybe you are the prophet of the Deep One. You are the prophet of the Deep One. Uh, <laughs> Cthulhu has just taught you how to summon it, which is by doing a dance in an ice venue <laughs> with some of your 
uh, good friends or was it? Oh, it's just a large number of people. So you got to find a so large. So it doesn't even matter who. <laughs> yeah. just Whoever start recruiting people. You convince Hello. them that you're going to propose to somebody, and you get them involved in one of those. What's that called? Whenever you suddenly break out into dance moves, flash mob. You flash mob. Turns out it's a Cthulhu summoning flash mob. It's all over the news. <laughs> I you can't become... tell you how many times I've been roped into a Cthulhu summoning <laughs> flash mob. <laughs> you become Cthulhu's right hand trinity. And like your name is even perfect for this situation. It kind of is. Yeah, I. That's a very like. Uh, I mean, I don't want to say holy, but it's a very like reverent. There type you of go. Name. I love it. And so, you, like you, you know, you don't. The tentacle grabs your ankle, but you wake up in a cold sweat before you ever feel any sort of you know full on fear or pain. Really, that was just you sort of holding your hand down, but it's your ankle <laughs> to Cthulhu to help drag Cthulhu up out of the depths. Maybe that's how Cthulhu holds hands. Maybe that's their thing. Ankle to hand, ankle to tentacle. <laughs> the only way. Now, on a deeper level. Uh-huh. Oh, underwater, oh, deeper level. Ooh, I didn't even mean to do that. Okay, frigid. um, so <laughs> on a on a more frigid level. Um Okay, so I'm I'm, get, I'm getting like okay, so you're a part of this large group, and you guys are all in this really tenuous position, right? Because you're dancing on ice. That is Ooh. not something people normally do. I mean, yeah, that is kind of ice scary, dancing. Actually. That's a little bit different, though. Um, you are on a body of water uh, large enough to contain something with a bunch of tentacles, and you're and dancing. It's a whole bunch skating. of people. Tons of people dancing on this ice, and um. Obviously, because of that, it begins to crack. And then there's this also this monster, which is an added horror. It'd be bad enough if you were just like falling into the icy water, which is very, very dangerous. But there's actually like a monster underneath. Um, and so maybe this could go a bunch of different ways. Like it could be, in my opinion, maybe like a social anxiety thing. I don't know if like the large number of people, it's like, oh, okay, we're all on the nice here because I am like, this close <laughs> to getting really, really uncomfortable. And maybe you see this sort of like being in a large group as some kind of precarious situation, or uh, maybe this is like larger scale and you're seeing all of these sort of horrible things. I hate to, I hate to bring this so, I hate to make this so dark. Um, I think it is though. You're I seeing think it all is. of this horrible stuff going on in the world right with mm. everyone and it seems like it's just one thing after another thing after another thing and maybe like society as a whole is doing this precarious like ice dance and it's just like to moments away from collapsing into like this wild monstrosity you know infested waters i don't know yeah oh god we're getting biblical today see i so that's I had the, I had the, the opposite thought with the same kind of, of, uh, again, horrible, <laughs> horrible end. So when, so she, uh, Trinity talks about people partaking in a dance of some port, some yes. sort. So, sh uh, Trinity and this large number of people are both partaking in a dance. So that means that this dance is, they're all doing the same dance, right? Mm. And what I saw this as is sort of like, a message about groupthink or about like fitting in or being like society. And when we all do the same moves, you know, when the stomp comes along and the electric slide or the Cupid shuffle or you hop three <laughs> times, then you break through, uh, the, you know, you, you end up breaking through the pond and you end up 
getting swallowed up by the, the bad stuff. So like being like everyone else and sticking to the, the routine and following along with the group, it's sort of like your, your mind's way of telling you, you know, you don't want to do that dance. Why don't you go ahead and you know, put on your ice skates, be unique and make your way off of the, the frozen pond because you're not, you know, Cupid shuffling into Leviathan's mouth. Right. And especially because you wake up like everybody else gets pulled under, but you wake up before you get pulled under. I sort of interpret that as it's not too late. If you're in this sort of rut where you are forcing yourself to adhere to these norms that are dragging you under, then, you know, there's still time. There's time to fix it. You can start, you know, doing your own dance or not dancing at all don't even go on the pond do something else you know i'm trying to think if there's anything else that this could be uh telling telling you no it's definitely either cthulhu or (laughs) or you know standing out uh among among a group of people that's gotta be it you're uh, cthulhu's new I don't want to say Cthulhu's right hand, boo? really, some sort of <laughs> Cthulhu's new boo or uh, the new sort of mouthpiece for the deep one. Or you are adhering to some sort of status quo that's dangerous for you personally and you need to go ahead and scoot off that ice before it starts scoot to on crack that ice. and everyone else gets dragged under. Excellent. All right. And we have one more dream that came to us from listener Shannon. And I was wondering if, Micah, you would like to read that one for us. Sure. I have a recurring dream about my teeth falling out. They crumble and I can feel it happening and I am panicking and keep spitting my teeth out. I can't stop until they are all out of my mouth. It's never the same dream, always different, but I will feel it start happening and they start crumbling. Okay. Them crumbling down. Okay, so this is a common one, right? Yes. This is one that I've heard many a time. I know that it's something that a lot of people have. So do we want to just go ahead and to get it out of the way so we don't get any <laughs> ads or emails? Right. Uh, what people normally think that this means yeah this is this dream is so common that there is literally a website that is called teethfallingoutdream.org <laughs> Uh, Thanks. so you Whoever can go to teethfallingoutdream.org to learn about what it means. Uh, generally means that there are like insecurities, uh, that you're experiencing or a compromise that you've gone through. Uh, things big like compromise. Big old compromise. <laughs> Life changes and growing pains, which kind of ties back to sort of you getting older. Um, oh, right. And possibly, although it's just a Freudian belief, and so it's, of course, related to sex, anxiety about a sexual experience. Um, those are the sort of negative meanings typically tied to your teeth falling out or crumbling and then uh, spitting them out. And I think, you know, th- th- there's there's the the typical reasons. But let's talk about the fact that this is not just Shannon's teeth falling out. They are crumbling in her mouth and she's panicking and she's spitting them out. And she even starts to feel it happen at first. There's like a a signal almost. Oh dear. Like, here we go again. Here we go again. Okay. So yeah, let's toss those uh, commonplace interpretations out. Like so many old teeth. And (laughs) um, let's take this one on for ourselves. I mean, this is one of those dreams that when I, 
hear it, I can literally feel it happening. Like I get that sort of like synesthesia where I can, I read the words and I I get the sensation in my mouth of what it would feel like for my teeth to crumble and fall out. You know, I'm really interested actually uh, in, she says it's different every time, Mm -hmm. right? The situation that she's in is different every time. So I'm really curious about what situations have preceded this teeth falling out before because I feel like that would definitely guide us a little bit more as to what it concerns. But um, I think that, uh, you know, whenever I think of teeth falling out, I always think of, especially in this situation where it's like total panic, I think about the unknown in a way because whenever I was a kid um, and it was I was at the age for my teeth to start falling out, uh, I always was so scared of it. Even after it happened multiple times because, I mean, yeah, kids have lots of teeth that need to go before the other teeth come in, which is horrifying. Um, but I was terrified every time of losing my tooth. And it, it felt sort of like – I knew it was going to happen, but also in my head, I was like, oh God, what's going to happen this time? Um, And so whenever I think about teeth falling out, I sort of associate it with this, yeah, sure, anxiety, but less anxiety about stressful situations that we already know are happening uh, and more anxiety about like the unknown. Like, am I, am I going to be forever changed from like losing these parts of myself? I literally feel it like the physical process of like my like changing. Mm -hmm. And that's like really, really terrifying because it's like, oh God, what's going to be different after this? I have no idea. I'm venturing into this new world where I've been altered in some way and how is that going to affect me in the future and so uh, that's sort of more what I personally think of um is this sort of like uh, a fear of the unknown now that you've become something else I really I like that um I my 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 interpretation um it it's along the lines of, of course, this being a recurring dream. You know, mm-hmm. if, if we think about a recurring dream, perhaps it means that our mind may realize that we have not learned what we're supposed to learn from <laughs> the dream, right? And so that's why right. it comes back. Um, and think about, so you, you know, some people get dental insurance, right? They, they get dental insurance, they go to the, the dentist and they're able to get like their teeth cleaned and they're able to get exams every year. Right. But anything more than that, it often costs a lot of money because those are considered, um, oh, what's the term? Sort of aesthetic enhancements. Right. And so while our teeth are used for things like chewing food, mm-hmm. for the most part, they, they are our body's most, one of our body's most, um, aesthetic, What's the word? One of our body's most like it's one of the first thing that actors will like get get their teeth whitened. You know, before they they fix anything else, they fix their teeth. And so I think that it's an aesthetic priority. Yes, and so I think that teeth are connected to to beauty in the sort of it's not vapid. What is the term that I'm looking for? In a sort of shallow way, in Mm -hmm. a sense, and it's almost as if. There's a lesson here about like 
one should not find their beauty on the surface and and worry about about that, but know that there's something deeper so that you can not feel, you know, you're panicking and you're spitting out your teeth and you're losing this thing that like would, if you don't have them, you would feel like you, you know, didn't belong. You weren't part of the group or you weren't beautiful enough in the sense. Right. If you can overcome that, then, you know, something as, as fixable as this is not a big deal. Um, and so that this idea of like these things crumbling, you, you know, you may be worried that over time, maybe you're, you don't feel as beautiful as you once did, or you don't feel as, uh, as respected as you once did, or you don't feel as accepted as you once did. And that is this crumbling. That is this, you know, that this, uh, this losing of that, that beauty or connection that you felt like you once had and it's crumbling and it scares you, but you keep having the dream over and over again. It's like your brain telling you, this is one of your biggest fears. And if you can overcome this, you'll be unstoppable. <laughs> and right. if you can push past this, you'll be unstoppable. And I, I think, I think that I th- the other thing that it could be, Tori, and, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, in some sitcoms, like, uh, one of the characters will have this thing that they do every time. Like, it'll be a phrase, or they'll like look at the camera and <laughs> turn their head, and the, the background music goes, ba-dum, bum, ba-dum, bum. I just see, yeah. I just, I think that her brain could be putting on some sort of sitcom for her, where her little action <laughs> is her teeth falling out because it's in all these different situations all over. So you just, you know, uh, and really your two, uh, interpretations can tie it together because again, it's, it's recurring and it's like, it's something she should embrace it's her you know it's her subliminal catchphrase for lack of a better term um it's her touchstone (laughs) to lose the teeth that's her that's her classic move that's the classic (laughs) shannon move so like yeah i mean i'm totally on board with that like and beyond it being a really funny thing to think about, like this is, I really now want that to be a part of a sitcom where every time something wacky happens, somebody just spits the mouthful of teeth out. But, 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 but. Clicky clacky noises. Um, but uh, also, you know, with the beauty thing or the respect thing or whatever, like to shed this sort of, uh, I guess, tether to those values is really beneficial. So maybe she should just you know, accept her dream sitcom move and run with it instead of resisting it and panicking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Love it. All right. I think that's about it. Let me pull out the checklist here. Uh, Convince someone to summon an ancient being. Yes. Told someone to keep spitting out their dream teeth. Okay. Invented dream church and (laughs) white noise (laughs) hymns. Uh, We've done it all. I think we've covered the list for this time, Tori. Yeah, our, we fit our outline to a T. <laughs> we had those in big, bright red, so we didn't miss them. Um, thank you all so, so, so much for listening. Uh, thank you to those of you who have sent in dreams. Yes, thank you. We love it. Please continue to do so. And uh, if you have a second, head to the Apple Podcast Store. We know most of our uh, listeners are coming from Apple Podcasts, so you're definitely there. Uh, go ahead and uh, leave us a, a you know five star rating if you want to, uh, and also. So if you've got time, uh, write us up a little review. Um, Tori, if people want to send in their dreams online, how can they do that? You can send them in to 
dreams at lucid.show via email and you can send us a recording or you can send us just a big block of text. Um, or if you just want to send in a text dream, um, you can go to our website, which is lucid.show and click on dreams and type your dream in uh, with where what your email is and your name and wherever we can find you on the internet so that we can read that out to everyone and our uh, beautiful dream sheep Edda will bring your dreams right to us mm -hmm. so that we can get to interpreting them ASAP. Excellent. Uh, also follow us on Twitter at lucid underscore podcast. You can send yes. us a direct message there if you so choose. Uh, Tori, if people are looking to follow you online, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at T.S. Folk. That's T.S.F.O.U.L.K. Micah, what about you? If you're looking for me online, you can find me at Micah Sargent on most platforms, or you can go to chihuahua.coffee. That's C-H-I-H-U-A-H-U-A -H -H dot coffee with links to all the things that I do. Until next time, it's time to head off to Big Dream City. Already on my way. Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs>